From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Good morning. How's everyone this morning? Does anybody answer like not feeling good? Seriously. Because if I say that, how are you doing this morning? The natural instinct is to say good, even though you may not feel good, right? I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage somebody today. I want to encourage somebody to persevere. The person that maybe you feel like your marriage is struggling and coming to an end and you just have been fighting and you want to give up, I want to encourage you this morning. For the person who's at wit's ends with their children and you're ready to toss them the towel throw a kid in the garbage, I want to encourage you this morning. You know, for the person who's been fighting addiction and problem and bad habit, and you just feel like you have no more fight left, I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage to somebody this morning who feels like they've been trying to get through whatever it is their thing is. That roadblock, that circumstance, that situation. Maybe you've heard from God and you feel like God just hasn't been coming through with what he said, I want to encourage you to persevere. You've tried, you've believed, you've prayed, and you have nothing left. I want to encourage you to persevere. I want to encourage the person this morning that when I said, how you doing? And everybody said, good. And even though good came out your mouth, you do not feel good. I want to encourage you this morning to persevere, to persevere, to persevere in faith, to keep going, to push on, to don't stop, to pick the towel back up that you threw. Ring ring it out and continue on. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 and 37, speaking of perseverance in faith, says, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised for in just a little while He who is coming will come and will not delay. Can I encourage you this morning that he's coming, he's with you, he sees you, he's for you, he's not forgotten you, he's by your side. And even though you may not feel him and sense him and you feel like he's far, just let me, just, you know, you can just take this. If you get anything from today, take this. Your feelings will often betray you. They're not true all the time. And what they say about God does not dictate God's presence in your life. You may feel like he's far, but I want to encourage you to hold on and to keep going this morning. You with me? So bow your heads. Let's pray. Father, we commit right now this time, our hearts, our minds, our spirits, our ears, Lord, to the things you want to say to us this morning. I pray, God, that you would encourage the person right now that needs this word, that's ready to give up that's believed, (laughs) proclaimed, prophesied, declared. And they just don't see what they think they should be seeing. Would you encourage them this morning? Would you remind them that you are closer than their very breath? Would you speak to someone this morning, God, who's maybe far from you? Maybe you are not Lord of their life. And they've been trying to do this thing called life and the difficulties that come with life and their circumstance without you. Would you encourage them this morning that with you, we truly have the strength and faith to persevere? God, we commit this moment to you in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Carmen Herrera is a Cuban-American abstract painter. Anybody heard of her, Carmen Herrera? Some of you, oh, good. She began painting when she was 12 years old. She loved to paint, so much so that after World War II, she moved to Paris to join some other famous painters. It was clear she was very good at what she did. By any observation, she had shows with other famous artists, but unlike the other artists that were around her, she was a woman and she was Cuban, Cuban-American. And she didn't sell a single painting. At 25 years old, 30 years old, she never sold a painting, but she kept going. She came back to America from Paris in the 1950s in her late 30s, but never sold a painting. Not at 40, not at 50 years old, but she kept painting. Not at 60, not at 70, not at 80 years old did she sell a single painting. But she was committed to her art and she was committed to her style. She was tremendously frustrated. And even though there's parts of her that wanted to just give up, she believed that her work needed to be noticed. And so she kept going. Contrary to what others told her, she kept going. She refused to give up. And in 2004, at the age of 89, she was finally discovered. And after nine decades of continuing in her art form, she was the hottest artist of that year. And as of at least 2018, at the age of 103 years old, people, at the age of 103 years old, her paintings have sold for over a million dollars. Perseverance. Perseverance. Perseverance is a virtue that you will actually see in our world. Speaking of virtues, you know, you hear this message in our culture, you see it all the time, keep going, don't give up. There's the picture of that cat that's just hanging on the, the you know, twig or tree or whatever it is in every office space, don't give up. I see it everywhere and it's good. But perseverance is also a message in the scripture for the believer in Christ as a virtue to hold, not so that you can see your famous dreams come true or your wildest dreams or any of that sort, not so that you can see your greatest successes, but a perseverance in faith in the midst of suffering. The Bible calls us to trust in Jesus during the difficulty that comes with following after him in a world that is constantly telling you to give up your ancient faith, to trust in his promises, in the chaos, in the mess, in the agony, in the trials that come with life. If you remember one of Jesus' promises, he made the assurance in scripture that in this world you will have trouble. Remember that. In this world you will have trouble. He didn't say in this world you have comfort and blessing and ease of life. And it will be fantastic until one day you pass away or I return. And it will be even greater then. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But, but woven within the tapestry of scripture is this idea, this truth, this virtue to hold fast to faith. Almost every, every story throughout the scriptures, you see this hold fast, hold on, keep going, remain in me. For he who is coming will come and will not delay. The promise that Jesus gives us of, a, of, of trouble in this world is followed by take heart. For I've overcome the world. So hold on. Keep going. 
Trust, trust in who he says he is to fulfill his promises. Sometimes I do that with the Lord. I'm like, you promised this. And I get a little bold sometimes, like a cheeky little child to a father, you know? I'm like, this is what you promised me. This is what you promised. I'm holding you to your promise. And he says to do that, to trust him. Angela Duckworth is an American psychologist and an author. She wrote the book called Great, which is called The Power of Passion and Perseverance. And she did research on why successful people succeeded. Why do successful people constantly succeed? And there are three main areas that she covered. A military academy, challenging inner city schools, and championship spelling bees. Why do some cadets keep going and don't give up and others do? Why is it that some teachers thrive in those tough inner city schools and others barely last? Why is it that some children under all that pressure can spell 26 little words that I can't even pronounce and some cave? And what she determined was that the most successful people didn't have the highest IQ. They weren't the smartest people. But they were those who had the most or the highest AQ Adversity quotient. They were people who persevered in difficulty. Can we in the church build a little bit more perseverance? You know, I'm, I've been following of as much as all we have over the last couple of years, just for lack of a better description, the chaos that seems to be in our world. And I, I think, church, let me just give you a little sidebar here for a moment that Chaos has always been in our world. We're just more privy to it because of media and social media. We're seeing it more. But I've been following that and tracking a little bit of that, and I'm seeing often more churched people, faith-filled people, being the people who are not persevering in comparison to the people of the world. They're quick to give up our faith, to throw in the towel, when the message, all the way to the book of Revelation, you have God, Christ, saying to churches that are struggling and being persecuted. There's some he had some rebuke for, but there's a couple in there. He's like, hold fast. I see your persecution. I know you're suffering. Keep going. Maybe we need to build a little bit more perseverance. Maybe we need to take on that virtue. And remember that the, the promise of God for the faith-filled believer is not that you will have no trouble. You will have abundant life, but it's found in here. It's not found out there. The promise of out there is eternity. The promise of when this will all, the tears will be wiped away and all evil will be destroyed is eternal promise. But the present reality is abundant life in the midst of suffering. I want to take you to a story, a very familiar story in the Old Testament, the book Joshua chapter 6, it's the story of Israel coming to the city of Jericho. If you have a Bible, would you take it out? Joshua chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 1. In order for the people of Israel, God's people, his nation, to get into the promised land, they had to get through the city of Jericho. The problem was that the city of Jericho was heavily fortified. Story goes like this, verse 1, it says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites, no one went out, and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've delivered Jericho into your hands. 
along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear the sound, when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up and everyone straight in. Why is it that so many of us are quick to give up on the promises that God has for us, on the promised good? Why is it that so many of us lose trust in the midst of unsurmountable circumstances? Firstly, I want to suggest to you our perspective is limited. So God's people, the Israelites, were delivered from Egypt out of slavery, and they had wandered the wilderness for 40 years. Moses had died, and now Joshua had succeeded him as leader. And they had entered into the promised land. This was the land of freedom. This was the land uh, flown with milk and honey, as God had said. But there were people in the land. It was occupied. Now, I just want to take a quick little sidetrack and detour and speak to the skeptic today. Because often when we approach the scriptures, specifically the Old Testament, we tend to read it through a 21st century lens. And we forget to take off those glasses and remember that this text, these scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, are thousands of years old. Like the stories that we're reading about are thousands of years old. What we're looking at is a different culture. And so we cannot read into it our cultural understanding. We look at something like this in the story of Joshua and we cannot read into it our culture of understanding. This is a very barbaric time. It's a very barbaric time and God is taking a very barbaric people, the Israelites, and he's forming them into his own nation, his own people. And he gives them laws and he gives them boundaries that actually are a significant moral improvement when you compare the laws and rules to the nations around. So when you often skeptic person, when you look at the Old Testament scriptures, you're like, man, these laws are cruel. Why would God say that? Well, in comparison to what the nations are doing, that's a significant moral improvement. And so he's actually bringing them out of that into something more and saying, I'm going to use you as a witness to the rest is what he's going to do. Now, the other side of this theological coin that, you know, just for the one or two people that maybe like to hear this kind of stuff, we don't often talk about this in in churches, but the other side of this coin that God is doing here is the people that were in the land that he had committed to destruction were actually descendants of the Nephilim, which were a half-breed of people with demonic spirits. And read about that in Genesis chapter 6. So there's actually a DNA woven within those those people groups of a seed of Satan. If you remember back in in Genesis chapter 3 with the fall, Adam and Eve, they took that fruit that they weren't supposed to eat. They took a bite of it, and then, you know, they had fall. They hid from God, and he comes in. He's like, what are you doing? And then he looks at the serpent. He starts, what, speaking rebuke over the serpent. And he tells a certain that from the seed, from the offspring of Eve, you will be destroyed. So what did the enemy do? He tried to create his own seed. That's what the enemy does. You see it all throughout scripture. It's a counterfeit truth. He tries to create his own seed. And so what God is actually doing through the people of Israel is not only is he bringing them into a promised land, but he's bringing judgment on the wickedness of people, the Canaanite people. And he's actually eradicating a line that is demonic. Oh, that's heavy. Let me bring you back to the people of Israel. So God had given them a promise 
says, I'm bringing you into this promised land, a land of freedom, freedom from displacement, freedom from slavery, a place where you can truly rest. And after 40 years of wandering, they finally enter in, and what stands before them? The city of Jericho. Now, the city of Jericho wasn't a very big city. You could probably march around Jericho in a couple hours. Take a little, little stroll, walk around, and you'd be done. But it was heavily fortified. It had extremely high walls that were um, impenetrable, big, large, strong. The Israelites were so close to the promise that God had given them, but what they saw before them was an impossible impasse. The promise that God had given them seemed unattainable. And maybe you can relate to that. You know what you want, you know where you want to be, but all you see before you is impossible circumstances. Maybe you get so close, so close, and then something happens. You're finally about to pay off the debt. You've been a good steward of your finances. You've been given to the storehouse. You've been blessing. You've been trusting. And then the furnace breaks. And you're like, what? Right? Maybe the, the relationship is finally being restored. You've been estranged from your child or you're, you've been estranged from your mother or father and it's finally being restored and then an argument happens and it just happens to stir up trauma and it spirals back down out of place. You're like, ugh! You finally get over that hill, that problem it is for you. You feel like I'm finally, I'm finally through the hard stuff. I'm finally through the thick. You feel like you're coming to an end and then bam, you get hit with something else. You get so close to the promise. And in those situations, it can be tempting to give up. That's where you see in our culture, you see a lot of generations of believers that are deconstructing their faith because they're not seeing what they had hoped for. They're not seeing what they believed for. And they say, this doesn't make sense. Therefore, my faith must be wrong. I need to change it. It's easy to throw in the towel. I'm done doing this. This isn't working. They finally get to the promised land. They've crossed the river. They're there. And what stands before them? How are we going to get through those walls? How are we going to get through that? Could it be that our perspective is too limited? And as much as we stand in a church and you hear a preacher preach or you read the word of God and you hear that truth that God sees what we do not see, we still allow those walls, those big, strong, hard walls to look a square in the face, and then we begin to think, I can't get through that. But our perspective is too limited. You and I cannot see what God sees. Verse 1 says, the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. One perspective said the walls are too high. They're too secured. I can't do this. But what does God say in verse 2 to Joshua? See... I have delivered you into your hands Jericho with, all of it, with its king, with all of its fighting men. Are we looking at the same thing, God? <laughs> Securely barred. And then God says, see, I've delivered it into your hands. <laughs> I'm just, God, not seeing what you're seeing. Maybe we can't see what God sees. 
They hadn't even began to march yet, let alone fight. Joshua hadn't even passed the instructions on to the men yet, onto the people of what they were about to do. And God had already declared to Joshua, I have given you Jericho. God is the only one who can speak in past tense before a present reality. God is the only one who can tell you what is when what is isn't yet. Is there an area of your life where God's, well, what God says is different than what you see? I got healing for you. I got a re- reconciled relationship. I got provision. I got abundant life. And you don't have healing and you don't have a reconciled relationship and you don't feel life is abundant. I'm with you and you don't feel he's with you. Is there an area of your life where what you see is different than what God declares? Our perspective is limited. Like Joshua and the Israelites, we don't know the end of the story. The page in that chapter of our book hasn't been revealed. But can I tell you, although it hasn't been revealed to you, it's already been written. It's already been written. You can't see what God has for you happening next, and so all you see is the obstacle. You have yet to turn the page, because you can't turn the page until you're there, but God's already written down what's happening. You see an obstacle. He says, I've given this to you. How am I going to get over? He's like, I got you. All I see is this city of Jericho. I've already given you the whole land. But the walls are high. You're going to have rest. Milk and honey. Huh? Milk and honey's in that land. Do you see the walls, God? Do you see the circumstance? Do you see the marriage that's broken? Do you see the the relationships that are torn? Do you see the job loss? Do you see the struggle? Milk and honey, my boy. Promised land, rest. I've given it to you. To the person that's ready to give up, what you need to ask yourself is will I keep looking at what I can see, my perspective, or will I trust in what God has declared? Perseverance, talking about perseverance as a virtue, says I trust what God sees and what God says, not what I see. How do you persevere? You begin to trust not in what you see, but you have faith in him who declares promises over your life. A second reason is this. Our progress isn't always obvious. Jump to verse chapter, verse chapter, chapter six, verse 10. It says, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once, and then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Let's jump to verse 14. It says, so on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to camp, and they did this for six days. Now, you got to pause. you got to imagine the frustration. you got to imagine the frustration. No one is privy to what's happening here. God had told Joshua, but Joshua didn't pass all the details on. He just told them what to do. He gave them marching orders. That's it. And this isn't just really six days for them. This is 40 years. This is 40 years of of wandering and waiting and preparing and trusting. And all they did 
went for a little walk. Imagine you're a soldier. You're one of the armed men, right? You're like, you're, you're ready to fight. And Joshua's like, go for a walk. Like, just a walk? Like, we're going to jog, get some exercise, you know, prepare our system. I'll go for a walk. That's it. That's it. Oh, there'll be trumpets too? Okay, so we're going to make some noise. What do we, we, we got a show for them? They go back home and they tell their family, what did you do today? Well, we walked around the city. You didn't fight? You didn't, you didn't try to storm the gates? No, we just walked quietly. Just quietly walked. And each day you do this, lap around the city, return to camp, and that's it. And they don't see any progress. They don't even see like stones fall off the walls. It's not like each day God made like a portion of a wall fall off, right? It's like, see, it's happening. You can be like, oh, guys, it's happening. Yeah, let's keep marching. March again. I can't wait till tomorrow. Another piece. There's no sight of progress. Not even like a, a shaking. It's easy to persevere when you see progress. It's easy to keep fighting for the relationship as long as you see a glimmer of hope. It's easy to keep paying down the debt when you see the numbers coming off. Progress helps the process. But when you can't see progress, we can wonder if it's even really working. Is this even accomplishing anything? Why would I do this? Like even when you go to the gym you're in, and you're exercising, at least you can get a little pump on, right? A little, a little sweat. The next day it might be like, or next week it might be a tad bit easier. Like there's a little bit of gain. Just give me, give me something, God. Just give me, give me, a, I just want one pebble. Well, one pebble just fall off the wall. Just want one. No one could see the progress. And then Joshua says, don't talk. Don't talk, don't, don't make a noise, no like shouts, no like intimidating sounds, you know, no grunts, don't, I don't want you to tear, to, nothing, silence, quiet, don't say anything. Why does he say that? Because sometimes out of your mouth, the things that come out of your mouth does not help your fight. I can't do this. I can't, oh, I can't do that. I'm not gonna get through this. I can't get through this. There's no way through this. I'm just not good enough. I'm just not good enough. This is so bad. This is so bad. This is the worst thing that could ever happen. And the things that come out of our mouth do not help us in the strength to fight. Words, the Bible says, have incredible power. The proverb says that they have the power of life and death. The tongue has the power of life and death. James, the half-brother of Jesus, speaks later on in the, in the book of James how the tongue is like a fire and it can set your whole body and whole life on fire. Your words have power. What you speak over your life matters. I've shared this like a hundred million times at this church. Well, that's an exaggeration, but a, a few times that there's actually science that shows that the words that come out your mouth will impact your life or somebody's life on a chemical level, on a biological level. We were designed in such a way by God that the words that we speak actually impact us biologically. And so you're approaching your situation, whatever it is for you, you fill in the blank. Work, family, relationship, job, mental health, whatever it is for you. And what comes out of your mouth gives you the strength or takes away the strength, gives you the ability to fight or not. So Joshua says to the people, do not talk. 
Because I know that you're going to mutter when you're around there and you're going to complain and, and get bitter and, and you're going to start speaking negative words because they've already done that in the wilderness. In fact, that's what caused them. That was part of the problem that caused them from not being able to get in there quicker because they grumbled and they complained. Imagine going around the walls grumbling and complaining. What does that mean for when the walls finally come down? He says, shut your mouth and walk. Some of the, one of the best things you can do when you need perseverance and you just need to keep going is just keep your mouth closed and begin to march. Tell yourself, zip it. If that means you gotta look in the mirror, and that's really weird, like I'm like, like an internal person. This is the most talking I do in my existence is on a stage, okay? I do not, like I don't go home, and I'm not auditory processor, I'm all in my head. I'm all in here. But if you are that person like me and you need to stand in front of the mirror and you gotta look yourself in the mirror and say, shut your mouth, then do it. Or you need to speak out the words of life. You need to speak out the things that you do not believe so that internally you can start to believe them. When you want to say, I'm a failure, take captive that idea and say, I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. When you want to say, I can't do this. When, you want, when that comes out your mouth, grab a hold of that and say, I can do this in Christ Jesus. Speak the words of life because they actually impact you on a biological level more than just a spiritual level. That means, church, this isn't just some crazy, wacko faith idea. Because God has a way of actually integrating spirit and life, body and spirit, physical and supernatural. He says, do not talk. Stop speaking negative words over your life. So they're walking and they're not talking and God says, do this for seven days. But Joshua never tells the people how long to do for all he says is, do not shout until the day I tell you to. Can you tell us, can you give us some days? Like, how, how long are we going to be doing this? It would, it would be easy if they saw the end in sight. But how frustrating it is to keep up the good fight when your progress isn't obvious. How hard is it to do what is right when you can't see an end in sight? It would be easy if God would just tell them when it would end. Joshua, tell everybody that in seven days the walls are going to fall down. Because then he can go, hey, guys, we're going to do this, but on the seventh day, don't worry, those walls are coming down. God declared it. Because then they're marching around. It's like fifth day or, you know, second day in. They're like, guys, we got five days left. It's okay. Just five days. It's less than a week, boys. We're going to get through this. Two days in. Two, guys, two days. Last day, guys. We got this. Come on. And there's an, there's an energy behind that, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't tell them when. How easy for you would it be to persevere if God told you when the marriage would be restored? Hey, just hold on six more months because by Christmas it's going to be healed. Hey, that loved one you've been praying for, don't worry, next spring, they're giving their life to Jesus. Just keep praying. Okay, that's easy. I can do that. You know, the job you've been, you're going through job loss. Your bank account's dwindled down. Maybe it's in the negative. You racked up your credit cards, line of credit. You just got nothing left. You're starting to go to the places that maybe you never thought you'd be going to, in a good shepherd, to get some food. What if God just said, don't worry, it's only a few more months and the job's coming. You could get through it. I can do a couple months. God just told me when, but he doesn't tell them when. 
We can persevere when we see progress, but perseverance in faith says, I trust in God's process, not in my progress. You want to persevere, you got to trust in God's process and not your progress. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. There's something that God wants to, to teach the Israelites through this. He's teaching them to trust him, to depend on him. He's building their faith. And let me tell you, people of God, your faith will not be built if God just spoon feeds you the whole time. If I just feed my child, my th- baby that's growing, by the time they get into like the solid foods, if I just feed them all the way up until they're like five years old, they'll never really learn to depend on themselves to put a spoon in their mouth. We've had that. <laughs> had one kid that just wouldn't eat unless you... But then you're like caught between a rock and a hard place because you're like, you gotta eat to grow. Your faith would not be built if God did that. Faith by definition is trust in uncertainty. So God was working in them, producing something in them first before he would do something for them. God often does something in you before he does something for you. God often does the work in here before he does the work out there. And enduring in the trial, in the circumstance, produces the godliness the Lord desires in you that he can only get through your perseverance. Have you noticed, people, that children that are spoiled literally grow up to be spoiled adults? And they just expect life to be handed to them because everything's being handed to them. They're, they're terrible people. And God wants to make you more like himself. And what happened to Christ when he came to this earth? What did he go through? He suffered. And it was the suffering of Christ that produced in us the work that he wanted to do. And so sometimes he says, persevere through it. Because what it's going to accomplish in you and in your spirit, if you trust me and have faith, is immeasurably more than if I just gave you this thing that you want. Because on the other end of it, you'd be more appreciative, more grateful. You'd be a stronger individual. And so when another circumstance comes or a circumstance happens in somebody else's life, you can either overcome that circumstance in your own life or you can look at the circumstance in their life and be like, hey, I've been there. I can walk with you through this. But if you just get handed the thing, you might say, hey, thanks, God. That's good. See you later. And then what happens of your faith? It's not there. That's why Paul can say suffering produces perseverance. Hebrews chapter 10, again, that key verse, verse 36, you need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, which is to persevere in faith, you will receive what you have promised. You don't get what is promised unless you're trusting in him. I invite the worship team to come back. So some of you, though, you're saying, I got this circumstance and you don't understand. And do you know what? I get it. I do get it because I've been in places where I just want to throw, throw in the towel. I've had moments where I'm said, I've done. I've talked, Jody and I have talked. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. I'm just done. I'm tired. 
I, I don't want to deal with these problems. I don't want to deal with these circumstances. I'm just, I'm, God, here's my towel. I get it. You've been doing lap one and, and lap two, and you feel like you're just doing the same thing over this problem, lap four, lap five. And you're like, there's no end in sight. Some of you are on lap six, and you don't realize it. Some of you are coming to the end, and you don't know it. Because your lap is like a two-year process. So you're like, I've been at this for like a decade, Pastor. John, lap six. Like, you're so close. You're so close. Now, obviously, there's other circumstances, right? A perseverance. Be encouraged. A virtue of the kingdom-minded person is perseverance in faith. It doesn't mean always that the circumstance will even pass. Because once they got through Jericho, guess what? There were other nations that had to, they had to fight. It wasn't like once they got through Jericho, it's like, man, easy sailing. Now let's just get the honey. Where's the honey? It's raw. It's local. It's good. Let's have that. And some fresh dairy. It's good. No, there's another nation and another army. Perseverance in faith says, I trust God through all this because when he returns, at the resurrection, there's bliss. There's eternal bliss. There's, there's no more pain, no more suffering. Evil is finally destroyed. There's true rest. Perseverance in faith says, God promises eternity to me. I want you to stand. We're going to sing. We're going to worship and declare that song again. The battle belongs to the Lord. We're going to declare that over our lives. We're going to believe in faith over our circumstance, but I want to share one last story with you. The story goes of a champion chess player who was on vacation in Europe. And while in Europe, he, he visited an art museum. He's a little bit of an art connoisseur. And as he's walking through this art museum, it's quiet in there, it's midday, middle of the week. He notices a painting. And this was a peculiar painting for him because it was a painting of a chess match. It's a chess champion. And so he stopped and he stared at this, at this painting, which seemed like hours, just looking at it, captivated, being a lover of chess. In the painting, there was a picture on one side of the devil, and he was leaned back in his chair, big grin on his face, tapping his fingers on the chessboard. On the other side, there was a young man. His hands, he's wringing out his hands, there's beads of sweat. And the title of the painting is Checkmate. The game was for this young man's soul and it appeared that he had lost. And so the chess champion stood, he looked at the painting for a long time. Finally, someone from the museum came by and he stopped and he said, would you, would you have an old chessboard lying around? The guy says, do you know what I think? If, I think I do actually, hold on. Goes and he grabs the chessboard, he returns, he gives it to the chess champion. The chess champion takes the board, he sits it down. And he sat, sets up an exact replica of the game. He just looks at the game, all the pieces in the right place. He looks up at the painting, making sure everything's there. Stares at it, looks up, and he begins to smile. And in the quietness of the hall, he begins to speak out loud. He says, young man, if you could hear me right now, I've, still got, I've got some good news for you. You see, I have a move that you do not see. 
I have a move that that devil does not see that if you knew, would, if you knew, not only would change your circumstance, but would give you the victory that you need. God says to Joshua, see, I have given you Jericho. But often we're like the young man, all we can see is what's before us, and the devil is smiling because he thinks he's won. He's tricked you into believing that your circumstance is the end. And if he can do that with fear, he's got you. But God says, listen, he's the chess champion. He says, listen, I got to move. I got to move for you. I got victory for you. If you would just trust in me, person who needs to persevere, your perspective is limited. Your perspective is too limited. And you need to trust in God's process, not your progress. Because he has victory for you in Christ Jesus. He has victory for you. And so if we could just begin to speak over our lives, truth, and take captive every thought that betrays us, every evil thought, so the scriptures say in Corinthians, Paul says to the church, he says, take captive every thought and make it obedient. You want to know how you do that? Because that's really vague sometimes. You take it, you say no to it, and then you replace it with another thought. You need to replace the negative, the evil, whatever it is, with another thought. The one thought says, I've lost the chess game. The other thought says, no, I've won. The one thought says, I can't get through this. The other thought says, no, God has given me the victory. Uh, one thought says, I, I am broken. The diagnosis is terrible. The other thought says, no, God has promised healing. The one thought says, my, this relationship is done. It's destroyed. I've lost. You can't, you can't do it. The other thought says, no, he reconciles all things, even this. And you need to speak that over yourself. You need to declare that over yourself. You need to remind yourself because the biggest tool in, in the devil's arsenal is just to trick you into believing that you've already lost with fear and intimidation, with deceptive words. That's all. And if you would just have the audacious, shameless tenacity to say, no devil, not today. Not today. Because I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory over this marriage, over this relationship, over this job, over my bank account, over my mental health. I'm going to see a victory. Why? Because the battle belongs to the Lord. Why? Because I am a child of God. Why? Because he has atoned me and saved me. Why? Because he's adopted me into his family. Why? Because I am a child of royalty. And Jesus says he will not lose one that's been given to him. He leaves the 99 to go after the one. You are a child of God. So start believing in that and start speaking over your life that. And maybe somebody else has to come alongside and you just say, listen, stop. Shut your mouth. Be quiet. You're on lap six. You are a child of God. Persevere. Persevere in faith.
For in just a little while, he who has promised to come is coming and will not delay. The scriptures say, keep on, hold to the faith. Remain in me. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I've overcome the ill relationship. I've overcome the illness. I've overcome the the lack of provision. I've overcome all that. You'll have trouble, but you're my kid. You may fall down when you're learning to ride the bike, but don't worry, I got you. Because you're my child. You're part of my family. And God protects his own. And the beautiful thing about God is he invites everybody to be a part of his family. Say, I want you in. Maybe you're here today and you don't know the Lord. You've never really given your life to the Lord. You've never committed to him in faith. He says, I want to adopt you into the family of God. You just need to trust in my promises. You need to trust in Christ. You are dead in your sin, but you need to trust in Christ. He says, I've forgiven you and I've given you what? Abundant life. The church should be the people who are walking in abundant life, persevering in faith. The Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that are standing before the blazing furnace and they're saying, even if God doesn't rescue us, we're not doing that because I got perseverance and faith and I know what awaits me. So throw whatever you want at me, devil, because I know where I'm going. Throw whatever you want at me, devil, because I know one day I'm going to rise again. Throw it at me. Throw it at me. Come on, I, I dare you. You forget who's by my side. Can I tell you a promise of God? Because he is for you, none can stand against you. They will try though. They will try and try hard and you'll be tempted to quit and give up. But you just need to declare over yourself, I'm gonna see a victory because the battle belongs to the Lord, amen? As you bow your heads, Father God, we just thank you Lord, that you are with us, that you are for us, and that you call us to persevere. Lord, that even though we walk through the valleys of the shadow of death, we can fear no evil, for you are with us. Remind us of that. Remind us, Lord, that what you see is not what we see, God. That your process means nothing to our progress, and we can just trust in your process, Lord. Even when we do not see the progress we had hoped for, I pray for somebody here, God, who needs this message today. Who came in here ready to give up, weakened, broken, burdened, with nothing left. Invigorate their faith right now and speak to their heart very clearly that you are with them and they're going to see a victory in Christ Jesus. And maybe they're on lap two, and maybe they're on lap four. Maybe they're on lap six, but but they just need to trust you, God. Stir their heart. And Lord, as we just sing this song one last time, God, and we declare this truth over our lives, strengthen us to be people of perseverance. Strengthen us. And let us speak those powerful words over us. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.